0: Welcome to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, an evolved perspective on life with dogs.
1: To the dog show with Julie Forbes. You're listening to Alternative Talk AM eleven fifty. Great to be here today on this fine spring Seattle day. What a great day to take your dog for a walk. Eric, would you agree?
2: Oh, man alive, you said it. Absolutely. (laughs) Beautiful.
1: It is. Of course, we like to say it's always pretty much a nice day to take your dog for a walk. (laughs) The point being Well, at least here in the Great Northwest. Yeah, yeah. It's true. Although with the hot weather coming now, I always get nervous. Like I'm in like a hot car patrol mode when I'm going into stores and stuff. Yeah.
2: But, During the, the hotter days, maybe it's a great evening to or, take care of. Or dog early morning. Or early That's right. morning, yeah.
1: You know, there's a lot going around. I see especially on Facebook about this sort of hot weather awareness and that it's not just, just hot cars, which is a big enough issue on its own, but then also the hot pavement and, you know, dehydration and stuff like that. So there's just a lot to be considerate of with your pet as the months get warmer. And as we approach summer, it means that sparks must be close. And indeed it is. I have Dr. Jim Ha with me today in the booth, which is always a treat to have our guests in person with us. And he is one of the presenters this year at the annual Sparks Conference, which I have covered the last um this will be my 3rd year covering the conference and the 3rd year of its existence and it's very exciting um very exciting um work that's being done that's being presented at the conference and just the conference itself is exciting so dr jim ha welcome to the dog show thank you thank you very much so Let's just talk, you know, you are one of the presenters. You are a research professor in the Animal Behavior Program at the University of Washington, um, among other things that you do. You also do work with people locally here in the Seattle area where you do in-home consultations and work with people for, now, do you do just dogs for that? or oh, do you, no, no, no,
2: no. Cats, too. They get dogs, cats, uh, feather-plucking parrots. Really? Not. Uh, no. Not a lot of them, yeah. but, um, yeah, hmm. we get a couple of feather-plucking parrots every year. So uh, it's, mostly, it's mostly dog work hmm. um, with, a, with a lot of cats.
1: Yeah. Well, very cool. So you are one of the presenters at this year's Sparks Conference. So let's just talk about the conference itself. Um, I've talked about it quite a bit on the show, but if you're just tuning in for the first time and you're not aware of it, SPARKS stands for the Society for the Promotion of Applied Research in Canine Science. And it was started, this is its third year, third conference. And I talked with Prescott Breeden, who is the president of SPARKS, um, three or two years ago. He was the first SPARKS interview that I did. And he's actually uh, locally uh, from Seattle. I believe he's in a master's program now in Arizona. Um, but, you know, I've talked with a lot of different presenters and have had some really excellent conversations, and it's really exciting. And I know, um, Dr. Ha, that you are very excited about this world of canine science and the value that it brings to especially the world of dog training and behavior professionals.
2: Yeah, Um I I come from an academic background. I'm a professor at the university. I teach and and do research and have have done research on a number of species, primarily on social behavior, for a lot of years. But what my work has really started moving in a big way towards is focusing on dogs and and cat behavior. Mm -hmm. And and the reason for that is this in-home work I did, um, which I do very much helping people deal with dog and cat behavior issues. Um, And there is a science to that. And really what I found out was that there was not much science to that. Yeah. And so we use the best science we have, as we always say. Um, we try to make our solutions science-based. And and what astounded me, really, was that there, there wasn't much science. And these you know are the dogs and cats that live with us, that have evolved with us, that we spend billions of dollars a year on, beloved family members, and we know so little about them, relative to a lot of other kinds of of animals in our world, say livestock and and so on. And so I really have enjoyed and found it very useful to over the years to really apply what we know from from my work in other species of animals and find out to what degree it either does work or doesn't work in in working with dogs and cats. And that leads to the science. and, And so I really have moved my scientific, my research programs, all to to trying to solve some of the big problems in in dog and cat behavior that are Mm. out there in the homes now.
1: So it is interesting given how much of a fixture pets are in this country that in the field of you know scientific research on animal behavior that it's been until relatively very recently that it's really started with dogs you know I mean the last decade is usually what people say it's kind of but, you know, there's tons of research done on different animals that for, I you know, I understand the reasons, but it is just sort of curious. I don't know why, but kind of an interesting thing. Like, well, why, why has it been so late in the uptake? And I think it's probably partially because of our shift, you know, in really viewing these dogs more and more and more and, and pets in general. As family members, and I guess their value is changing in our culture, but.
2: Well, you know, I I would argue with the fact that we have a lot more research going on. I'll start out with the very beginning that while we have some more going on, there certainly has been an increase in 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 dog, mostly dog research uh, in, in the last few years. Um, there really is, you know, it's it's if you if you start at a very low amount and you triple it, you're still at a very <laughs> right. very low amount. Right. And so, relatively speaking, yeah, I mean, if you look at things like uh, funds spent on research, behavior research, or biological research, or anything like that, yeah, um, and you look at the proportion of that that's that's being spent on dogs and cats, which seem to have a great deal of importance and relevance to us, and people care, taxpayers, voters. You know, mm-hmm. f- uh, care about them. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it's it's just so tiny, and um and and that's the that's the basis of the talk I'm giving actually at at Sparks is really I'm not talking about my research. I'm I, what I'm really trying to do is pull together um, the facts as to why so little research, while well, it has been increasing a bit, yeah. Why so little research is being done, and how, in my mind at least, we need to move forward with a, a very collaborative. Um, put well put together plan for how to do this, and that's how we're going to get the funding and, the, and yeah. the money to do it.
1: Because clearly, we can't rely on the traditional funding methods of other kinds of research. Because if we did it, we wouldn't be in this position in the first
2: place. That, that's right. There's a right. there's a, there is a bias, and again, that's what I'm talking about in my Sparks talk. But there are a number of biases against dog and cat research in the in the from the from the places that fund. Serious research. Yeah, I mean, there are many groups doing the best they can. JSPCA sure. PCA and yeah. uh, APDT and the Morris Foundation, and you know, and and they're they're doing a number of two thousand and three thousand uh, dollar grants to try and support this kind of research. But research on the scale we're talking about is yeah. is fifty thousand or a hundred thousand a year, right? Um, to really move this field. To ca- let it catch up to what we know about animals and so many other you know, other kinds of animals, mm-hmm. and so there's a real bias against that work for a couple of different kinds of reasons. And and I think we need to look in different directions. And I'm excited about things like crowdsourcing, yeah. um, looking at private donors, uh, uh, like corporations, uh, industry, uh, things like that. And and again, I think there are ways that we need to do that that we are not doing. And that's my call at Sparks is is to get that effort started.
1: Great. Very important conversation to be having. And you'll be talking on Saturday. Um, I that's, correct, that's correct, right? That's, so it's, as far as I know. <laughs> so it's Friday. It's this, this Friday, June 19th, Saturday and Sunday. Um, starts at 9 a.m. and goes to a panel discussion, which will go until about 6:45 pm. So it's three very full days of a lot of wonderful information. You can attend live in um, Phoenix, Arizona or you can listen or watch to uh, listen or watch the live stream of the broadcast from anywhere. and that is free. So go to sparksinitiative.org for more information about that. You can become a member and participate in this really, really valuable conversation that's happening all weekend long. SparksInitiative.org. And if you can't write that down right now, you can go to our homepage, and uh, there's a link to it on there as well, which, of course, is DogRadioShow.com. So I'm looking at the lineup. There's a lot of new presenters this year and some familiar familiar names from last year. So lots to do with... um, social learning and interactions, dog-human interactions, Um, and just looking at the schedule, which you can find at sparksinitiative.org as well, Um, hunting with dogs, I mean, hunting with dogs in the tropical rainforest, and then talking about stray dogs, Uh, dog pound to rehabilitation center. There's just a ton of really interesting topics. So again, go to sparksinitiative.org for the full lineup of presenters at this year's conference.
2: There's really um, a couple of themes and, and what we try to do at SPARKS. I'm a member of the advisory board for SPARKS. And and one of the things we try to do is set up days that have rough themes as best we can organize speakers. And mm-hmm. one of them is shelter issues. Mm. Steve, uh, Dr. Steve Zawaskowski is coming in, just retired from ASPCA. And uh, many, many years of experience with the issues going on in shelters and funding and behavior issues. and mm. So he's giving several talks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other one is dogs around the world and trying to look a little bit at dogs in other cultures or how dogs are perceived, um, handled, used, treated uh, in other cultures. And so mm-hmm. that's a couple of the themes that, that you hear about as you were listing off some of the topics that, yeah. because there are a couple of, of those themes.
1: And that's really important to appreciate as I see dogs uh frequently coming in in a rescue situation from other parts of the world, uh the one that I see a lot of is these um Formosan mountain dogs, and uh you know a fair amount of them are not too keen on strangers,
2: yeah, and yeah. you know
1: and understanding kind of where they come from and well a,
2: a big issue a big issue for instance is is really the adoptability and, and if we adopt them the right way to deal with the handle and, yeah. and do behavior modification, for instance, in these what we call pariah dogs or, or uh, which are dogs that sort of live wild but are dependent on humans. Yeah. Or even feral dogs, which yeah. are actually independent of humans in the wild, have returned to the wild. And and people, you know, want to adopt them, want to take care of them, want to improve their welfare, um, but but they're a challenge. Yeah. And and again, there's a nice example of some science. We know nothing. We know nothing about what their issues are, how to treat those issues. Um, You know, it's a huge unknown in terms of scientific uh, literature.
1: Yeah. Well, that's great. SparksInitiative.org, again, is the website. And we're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, I'll be talking more with Dr. Jim Ha, who is a research professor in the Animal Behavior Program. At the University of Washington We'll be back in just a few minutes You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes I love my dog
2: As much as I love you For you may think
1: My dog will always come through All he asks from me Is the food to give him strength All he ever
0: needs is love And that he knows he'll get So I love
1: The Natural Pet Pantry is Seattle's original source for wholesome dog and cat meals, offering eight different protein options, This is Martha Norwalk. Every Sunday morning, beginning at 9 a.m., thanks in part to the Missing Link supplements, we cover
0: the world of animals. This Sunday, March 27th, it's Easter Sunday and an encore presentation of Animal World. Tune in to hear gifted animal intuitive medium and Reiki master Darcy Pariso. During the show, we take listener phone calls and Darcy helps them connect with their animals and human loved ones. It was a great show with lots of good phone calls, so tune in for Martha Norwalk's Animal World,
1: Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Talk, a.m. 1150. Host at DogRadioshow.com. That's me, Julie Forbes. Host at DogRadioshow.com. I look forward to connecting.
2: Wait, dogs can use Skype? We're really living in the future.
0: <laughs> Notice anything different? You should. There's no other station like Alternative Talk 1150 a.m. The Dog Show is back with Julie Forbes.
1: Welcome back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. You're listening to Alternative Talk AM 1150. And we're back with Dr. Jim Ha, who's one of the presenters at this year's Sparks Conference, which is happening this Friday, June 19th. Uh, The conference is um, being held in Phoenix, Arizona this year. And you can go to sparksinitiative.org for more information, um, either last minute uh, vacation down to Phoenix to attend in person or you can listen from anywhere in the world to the live stream of the conference through the website sparksinitiative.org and that's sparks s-p-a-r-c-s sparksinitiative.org so uh now if you're just tuning into this episode uh and you missed our first segment where Dr. Jim Hall was talking a little bit about um the field of canine science and a little teaser about what his talk will be about, which is going to be on Saturday um, of this conference. Um, you can find all of our episodes archived on our website, which is dogradioshow.com. Also, as a free podcast on iTunes, and they are also posted directly to our Facebook F- Facebook page via SoundCloud. And blogtalkradio.com and streaming live through the station's website as well. So there's lots of ways to listen to our over 300 episodes now archived. So, Dr. Jim, we had a very interesting conversation about um, a lot of different things in preparation for having you on the show today. And one of the things that we talked about, which has really, really stuck with me in a big way and that I... Want to learn more about and uh, look forward to as more research continues to be done about this topic. But was it really about the genetics of different dog breeds and how they vary from each other, sometimes more so than they do from wolves. Yeah,
2: yeah. So one of the areas of science that that is moving forward, and and we have had a number of well funded, very very good studies done recently, has been on the genetics of dogs. We now have. Uh, thanks to researchers at the Fred Hutch, we now have the the dog uh, genome map, mm-hmm. um, and so that opens up the doorway for a lot more research in genetics and my particular interest, most people, behavioral genetics. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we really f- we found some some really illuminating things, and um, we were able to discover and has been described in the scientific literature, you know, a group of breeds of dogs that that basically are are almost virtually indistinguishable from an ancestral wolf-like ancestor, and and genetically. Mm -hmm. And and that doesn't mean they behave like wolves, because of course they're raised in our houses and around us and, and so on, and so there are all those influences. But we certainly might expect a certain kind of behavior from them. On the other hand, we now know that there are breeds of dogs which differ widely you know, from those genetically have a number of, of genetic differences in their genetic code to the degree that for many biologists, if they were impassionately looking at this genetic data for birds or wild mice or something like that, you know, would say, well, we have at least two different species here. Mm. Um, they're that different. Mm. And so the question then becomes, you know, why do we expect their behavior to be the same? Why do we expect them all to train the same way? Why do we expect them all, on average, to have the same temperament or anything like that? And so there are behavior patterns, behaviors, um, this whole question about dominance and pack leadership, and I'm certainly not a proponent of... The D word. The D word, (laughs) right. Um, And one of the issues that's confusing for a lot of people is that we believe... This is where the research has to be done. But certainly those of us with a lot of experience in, the, in this field believe that it may be that some breeds of dogs, these ancient breeds, dominance may be very important. Social structure, let's call it. Mm-hmm. And, and your social position and how you're treated and, and how you treat others and this real social structure issues may be very important, like it is likely in ancestral wolf kind of populations. And there may be other breeds, what we call highly derived, highly evolved. These, this other species, this these very changed genetics breeds, um, where that's gone, where that's been eliminated, where that those behaviors are, are not in the genome anymore. Mm. So it, you know, so we have these arguments going around where you know uh, uh, dogs need a, a good tough leader and show a sign of dominance and we can get off into what is a show of dominance between humans and dogs, if any, if there are any. But, you know, and and, and or not, you know, dogs do not show dominance. They're dogs. They're not wolves. You know, and what we really are finding, as we often find, is it's more complicated right. than that. Yeah. And, and that there may be differences across dogs. And so what we're really finding is that a dog is not a dog is not a dog. Mm-hmm. And this leads to real differences in behavior and social behavior um, and, and the way they communicate and, and so on.
1: It really is complex because it's not just the difference in the genetic. I mean, it's not just the genetic conversation where you're really having to consider how widely it's different breeds of dog. I mean, it sounds like what you're saying is that relative to other animals like birds or, you know, that it, you could almost have an argument that there's two different species. They're so genetically different. That's correct. Of dog. That's right. Okay. I mean.
2: I mean, and it's really a, you know, the problem is, of course, it's really a gradient and so on. It's well, not a clear black and white. Sure. But yes, yes. I mean, when you when you're talking about, you know, one of the ancient breed kind of dogs, and you're talking about, oh, let's just pick on. Uh, something that's highly derived and quite changed has a very different genome poodles yeah that they're not just poodles there are plenty of other breeds in there too but yeah they're they're very different dogs
1: (laughs) so one of the things that i thought of that you when you were initially talking about this today uh just a few minutes ago and that you just alluded to was this gradient so so it's not like okay you are over here and you are way over here but there's you know, so if we take a malamute which would be considered one of the more ancient That's right. uh, more closely yep. genetic re- genetically related to wolves versus a poodle which would be on the other end of the spectrum i mean let's not even talk about i worked with a husky poodle mix so i mean Right. There's an
2: interesting combination. That's... What and what do you get out of that? Oh man, who knows?
1: <laughs> yeah. So, but but then, as far as other breeds of dog, who may be a little bit more. I mean, is there this whole gray area in between, which where there tends to be as a bell curve kind of thing, or yeah. is it?
2: It it tends to be, it tends to be, little bumps, and so so you get you know an a clusters got it ancient breeds tend to cluster similar and then there tends to be very few in between and then there'd be another cluster so i really talk a lot about not so much breeds but breed groups group. yeah. and we have AKC breed groups right working dogs sport dogs toy dogs but what i'm talking about is genetic clusters degree okay. of difference uh, of groups and so poodles represent the, a very extreme group from the the ancient breeds of the Malamutes. Uh, but there's there's really and they're and they're tangential because genes can pop up in interesting places, and so you'll have different traits on different dimensions pop up so it's 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 much more complicated, but the concept is dog is not a dog is not a dog and and there's a lot of genetics going on in there and and what this a lot of this research has now done, where we now know how different breeds of dogs are actually related to each other um rather than the, the, the breeder stories and so on, we now know how they're related because of the genetics, really begins to explain a lot of the patterns that we see in behavior and training and learning and the development of anxiety and so on Is suddenly becomes makes much more sense in the light of what we now know about some of the genetics.
1: Can you give some examples of what this will look like, what this actually looks like in you know in a way that someone who does not have a science background would be able to sort of relate to uh when you talk about uh behavior patterns or sort of predictable um based off of the genetics of what we know of this kind of dog of a more ancient breed versus another breed versus another breed like how does that most would commonly mostly manifest
2: well it it it's um, and again, we we don't have a lot of science on this. This hasn't a lot of this has not been quantified. A lot of this is is uh, observations, anecdotal observations, things that work for the those of us who are doing this dog behavior science or going in the homes, the certified applied animal behaviors, the veterinary board certified veterinary behaviors, and we talk and you know we find patterns. A lot of this has not been quantified, and it desperately needs the research to do it. But for instance, we know that there are. I mean, certainly in my experience and many of my colleagues, there are breeds of dogs who have a very strict social structure like I talked about earlier and that you have to be aware of that and it can be managed. I mean, if you're aware of it and you handle it right, people who know Malamutes or people who know uh, Akitas Mm -hmm. and are really good at handling them, have beautiful dogs know this stuff Mm -hmm. and handle their dogs that way even if they don't know they're doing that. Right, Um, And, 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 you know poodle po- people love poodles why poodles are easy they don't care about the social structure they have very little so- social structure they don't have social structure signals they don't have dominance they have they just wanna play with everybody and and so y- you'll see that and people will say oh poodles are easy you know and and it's because you don't have to be paying attention to how that dog is reacting to every other dog and and yeah. so on
1: perhaps in the conversation of social structure we could qualify them as easy but yes <laughs> Generally though, don't go out thinking get, you can get a That's poodle right. cuz they're easy cuz they have a high need for a uh, constructive outlet for their mental energy. etc etc. Cetera, et cetera.
2: Every breed has its own. So in terms yeah. of social structure, yes. they're relatively yes. easy. Um other another example that we we are developing, we we believe we're now seeing the the the, the patterns in and, and it needs to be really quantified and studied is communication. Mm. And it's it's really clear to many of us that that different breeds of dogs, and really I would talk about, again, breed groups of dogs, um, communicate differently, uh, or, or not at all. And mm-hmm. so this creates continuous problems at off-leash dog parks. Um, most jurisdictions you know, in the United States and Canada don't allow large dogs and, and small dogs in the same off-leash dog park. Good idea. And one of the big factors here, we believe, is this difference in the genetics and communication. And when you have a dog, a big dog, that is, that is you know, th- ha, ha, is social structure is important. Social communication is important. Throws all those signals, um, runs up to a little dog. It's usually a little dog. It's the more derived, changed ones, uh, a Yorkie or a poodle or whatever, and runs up to that dog. And, and what's supposed to happen is the big dog runs up, throws those ears up, acts dominant, throws a bunch of body signals. The other dog, probably the smaller one, says, yeah, yeah, okay, that's fine. And uh, you're 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 the big boy. I'm the small boy. Let's go play. Mm-hmm. And and what can happen is the you run up to some of these little dogs, uh, smaller dogs, more evolved dogs, changed dog, whatever we want to call them. <laughs> uh, the big one, you know, the 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 dominant one will run up and say, "Hi, I'm the dominant one." And yeah. the little dog says, "What?" Doesn't understand the signals, or even heaven forbid, throws the wrong signal. Just says, "Hi, you're interesting looking," and puts his ears up. And the big dog says, "What?" That's a challenge. Little dog says, a challenge. What do you mean? It? And so there's just there's a total lack of communication genetically, and trouble ensues <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because all it takes is the big dog to teach the little dog a lesson, uh, and it's much smaller, and the image gets done, and you know, right. and, it, and it all goes downhill from there. Yeah. So, so I think we think there's some real communication problems. You know, in these in these breed between these different breeds that have these very different genetics
1: that are very innocent in the sense totally. that the 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 more evolved or whatever you want to call it breed, the little dog typically is not necessarily challenge intending intending to challenge anybody. They're just sort of like ah, that's not really yeah. What do you do? You know, yeah. but, now what about a fear reaction? Yeah. So a little dog is like just bah, and runs away because. Because that can also, like, for a dog that's very sensitive about that, kind of the word that came to me was sort of like social etiquette. Like, you need to, we need to have a conversation before we go any further with anything right now. And that, of course, happens non-verbally. But that, in a lot of times, the more dominant dog will actually sort of get upset if the dog that's holding still while being sniffed, for example, walks away before they're dismissed.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, this is the kind of communication we're talking about. So you certainly have the, the protocol. And, and if dogs are not, and, and it's also possible that a dog raised in isolation, puppy mill dogs don't show the protocol because they never, they may have it genetically, but they never practiced it properly. Yeah. So there are other issues. Yeah. But in terms of the fear reaction where a small dog, let's say, really starts yipping and crying and, you know, really acting super uh, super fearful, you have a lot of complicating things going on. You have arousal level. It can simply get the larger dog really aroused, and they'll lose inhibition. We have inhibition level, which is something, a problem we see with a lot of inbreeding and so on. Um, You can very rarely, but you can have it uh, running off like that, can, in very rare cases, trigger a predatory attack, an actual, oh, that wasn't a dog, it's a squirrel, Mm -hmm. rabbit, you know. Um, so there's a lot of other things going on and how the big dog reacts may also be determined by whether it interprets a small dog as a puppy, which tend to get away with more. If it interprets that dog as a as an adult dog, that's less tolerated and so right, on. So, right.
1: Will you um, clarify the difference between arousal, like arousal aggression versus prey? Oh, uh, like because it one doesn't because it sort of feels looks and feels like okay dog gets aroused and then snaps over into ah you know an aggressive outburst and that's different than prey drive so yeah. it's not that the arousal clicks the prey drive in they're actually two separate things yeah
2: so you're talking about two different dimensions you're okay. really talking about two different kinds of things so there really is nothing called arousal aggression okay arousal is how excited the animal is. And so excited, or I keep trying to use the word aroused, but uh, elevated, jumped up, hyped up, S- on adrenaline. Stimulated? Stimulated, yeah. yeah. And that arousal can occur because of a predatory drive. It can occur because of a dominance drive. It can occur because of a resource guarding in the broadest sense, including teritori- territorial drive. It can, So... So you can have a dog that's a resource guarder, but is not very aroused. If you get closer to it and reach, really reach in for that bowl, it's still a resource guarding aggressive, and now it's highly aroused. So the arousal issue comes in with how aroused it is and, and that arousal going over threshold. When it goes over threshold, then you see the release of aggressive behavior. So that's one aspect. The other aspect then what, that you're referring to is whether the behavior that's released or what's causing the arousal is what's that due to? Is it due to a prey drive? Could be. It's very rare, relatively rare in dogs, but you see it and it's, you see certain behaviors that precede it and define it and so on. Um, More likely, what we tend to see is anxiety, Mm -hmm. uh, social anxiety. Mm -hmm. We see that a lot because of the shelter effects, because of lack of proper rearing, lack of proper socialization early on. So very often it's an anxiety thing. And if the arousal due to anxiety keeps going up and up and up, it becomes – goes over threshold and becomes aggression.
1: So that is what I was going to ask you about, because I think that is what the answer to the question I was going to ask you, which is doggy daycares and to some degree also dog parks. But especially I see it in doggy daycares where you have a high number of dogs in a smaller area. And I've been in them and they can be they mean that the level of energy in those places is a lot, and I see a lot of dogs that are having behavioral challenges in daycare because they're overstimulated. Correct. They, I mean,
2: so day, doggy daycare can be absolutely horrifying, super stressful, anxiety producing, arousing, all and, of it, and yeah. everything else for some
1: dogs. And the dogs are th- these dogs who interact well with other dogs in more natural, you know, one on one or small groups. Can't handle the daycare setting.
2: So dogs are just like people, yeah, and most other mammals. I mean, I'm not. It's not people. It's not that there's a big match between there is, but a, you know, a right. match between human. Hum, I mean, they're like other mammals. They're like other vertebrates. They're they're individuals, yeah. and and there are, you know, there are people who love other people in small groups mm-hmm. and do not like to be at big cocktail parties. Right. Um, there are people who are comfortable with people not paying attention to them, and, and you know. There's the entire gamut. And so, you know, a doggy daycare situation or any kind of same thing with off-leash dog parks. I see poor dogs getting dragged to off-leash dog parks because it's good for them for the exercise or the socialization. And they are just terrified. I mean, and so uh, same thing with the doggy daycare. I mean, I have clients and they say, well, we want to take our dog to doggy daycare or we want to train our dog, work with our dog. And so it's going to be able. It's gotten kicked out of doggy daycare, and we want you to train it so it can go to doggy daycare. And I'm going, not not going to happen. I mean, this is simply a dog that is not not a social dog, and not it's not appropriate.
1: Well, and I mean, I when I'm talking to people about a similar situation where the it's just clear to me that it's not a good fit. I'm like, well, the dog hates it there, so don't go, you know. But it's like, well, you know, who do you? When you socialize, what do you do? Who do you hang out with? You hang out with people you already have relationships with. Do you go to gymnasiums full of strangers by yourself and just go make friends and instantly play?
2: Yeah, and do you do do it for all day?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Do do you
2: drop in for 10 minutes and that's enough stimulation for me? Then I leave when I want to? Or am I stuck there for six hours with these people?
1: Yes, yes. Okay, so... You said uh, it does sound like... So back to the genetic difference between dog breeds uh, and breed groups. So it sounds like, to generalize, little dogs tend to be further away from the ancestral... You know, from the wolf genetically than larger dogs.
2: Yeah, it's it's roughly correlated with the change in appearance. So... You know take your a wolf or coyote like animal and um the more your breed doesn't look like that, mm-hmm. the more genetic changes have gone on. Mm-hmm. A lot of those genetic changes were for appearance, right the whole development of right. lap dogs and toy breeds and things like that mm-hmm. um It's not perfectly correlated because, as I say it's all not all that easy and simple, but right. in general the the less wolf-like your dog looks, the more altered the genes are and more likely that the behavioral genetics are altered as well.
1: It is interesting because I think of our own pack of dogs that we live with, and we have two cattle dogs who I would... who do seem to be more... they've got the, you know, triangle ears and... Um, and they do seem to be more social, more sensitive to social hierarchy than my yellow lab, who could really care less. Perfect example. Or my dachshund, even. I mean, and I actually have a fairly mild, I don't know where, I'd be curious about dachshunds because my dachshund is a very mild tempered for the breed because they can be quite tough.
2: Now remember, remember, within all these generalities we're talking about, there are breed temperaments Right. So each each breed sort of has an average temperament on probably at least four or five different dimensions. Independent dimensions of temperament. So yep. when one person says they're this way, you know, another person's talking about a different dimension. And within the breed, there are individuals. Yeah. And so, you know, people want me to choose puppies, right? And and so what what kind of lifestyle, what kind of temperament, what kind of you can send them to certain breeds, which on average I have know. certain characteristics. Yeah. And, of course, it also has a lot to do with how they're brought up. Yeah. Um, and so we can weight the odds in the favor of what you want. <laughs> right. But just like having a kid, yeah, it's what you get is what you get.
1: Yeah. Like in z- some situations, it might be a good place to start to go for a poodle versus an Akita. That's right. However, however, and the, you know the doodle phenomenon is a great example of this because for me doodles are all over the place in their very
2: unpredictable because yes. you're getting these randomized toss them in a big mixer yes. sets of genetics yeah. and so the the predictability of you know of 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 a poodle and 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 you know whatever the other breed is 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 gone it's you're you're doing a random mix I mean we do this in research I mean yes. these are experiments that that would take years to to actually conduct uh, you know, that, that, that people are actually out there doing.
1: Yeah. Well um, I have so many more questions and uh, we're going to get right back into this conversation. I'm talking with Dr. Jim Ha, who is a research professor in the animal behavior program at the university of Washington. He is also one of the presenters at this year's sparks conference. Which starts this Friday, June 19th. It's Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, all day, all weekend long. You can go to sparksinitiative.org to learn about how you can watch or listen to these presentations that are happening in the field of canine science. It's happening in Phoenix, Arizona this year. sparksinitiative.org. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back in just a few minutes talking with Dr. Jim Ha. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Oh.
0: The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, an evolved perspective on life with dogs. Wednesday afternoons at 2 on Alternative Talk, 1150 a.m.
1: The Natural Pet Pantry is Seattle's original source for wholesome dog and cat meals, offering eight different protein options Host at dogradioshow.com. That's me, Julie Forbes. Host at dogradioshow.com. I look forward to connecting.
2: Wait, dogs can use Skype? We're really living in the future.
0: <laughs> the Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Never miss another episode. Listen to our podcast online at dogradioshow.com or download them for free on iTunes or SoundCloud like what you hear be sure and support the sponsors who support your favorite programs on alternative talk 11:50 a.m and now back to the dog show with julie forbes
1: is that poodle rockin
2: that is poodle rocking, yes. Well, and
1: that's very scientifically accurate as far as this genetic conversation goes because it's like they're just chasing sticks and stones, like they just don't care about social hierarchy, right? That's right.
2: One to the, generalize. One of the classic studies that was done that really started putting a pin on this and really showed the difference in communication was a, a Ph.D. student who actually studied body language communication and, and in wolves. And then what do you pick? as another extreme as the prototype dog, the doggiest dog, poodles, and yeah. so there's actually a whole paper on body language communication in wolves and poodles and how they don't overlap at all. Yeah, and so,
1: so this is these are some interesting things for people to consider. Do you see this? Okay, now here's an interesting question. You ha- you described this um, example of there, you know, you're at a dog park and there's a, a Malamute runs. Over which would be a more inse- example of a more ancestral breed,
2: and we don't want to pick on Malamutes. No, now, we don't. But there's a whole Akitas, cluster of it. A- okay, okay. Spitz oh. breed, yep, yep, you know. Yep,
1: yep. Um, and then a a uh, a dog sort of further away from that, like a poodle or a Yorkie or Cavalier King Charles Spaniel or whatever. And there's just sort of there's one's trying one's coming from one place the other one's coming from the other place there's a miscommunication and then the one that's coming from the place of I just showed you that I'm in charge basically and you did not acknowledge that we have a problem now and then there's a there's especially big dog on little dog what about when they live together
2: Oh, very different situation. I mean, when they live together, there they really is amount, uh, an amount of bonding that goes on, you know, association. Uh, and that's where you get all the cute pictures, you know, the big dog and the little dogs asleep together. For that matter, you know, you get the cute pictures of the cat and the dog, you know. Sure. Because there is experience, there's bonding, there's familiarity um, that, that can overcome a lot of these kinds of differences. And in fact, it's interesting because a lot of these dogs who have lost a lot of communication ability – can learn it
1: well, so that's what I was, you know, if you have a just to stay with the poodle malamute, but as you said, there's many many other breeds that represent these two groups. Um, you get them living together. Does does one learn? Yep. From the other, and do they learn both ways? Yep. Mm.
2: Yeah, so you can have some loss of <laughs> polish. Yeah, and it, and we think you can also certainly the poodle can learn. Yeah. And certainly we've seen a number of cases where little dogs living in families with big dogs go off to off-leash dog parks and do just fine. Yeah. Um, and so there, it's actually a method. I mean, it's actually a technique and something that can be done to yeah. reduce these problems in some small way. Anyway,
1: One of the things that I find interesting when it when I see it, um, and I've seen this even in daycare settings where there's just this dog and this dog hate each other. And it's very, it's this dog and this dog can't be in the pen together, blah, 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 you know. And and I, when I talk with, when people say, for example, have a dog and then they're looking to add another dog to the family, I am, so much of it's like chemistry, you know, look at, are is it a good fit? Because just like people, you know, you it walk. It is
2: just, yeah. like, do you have one or two people you really can't
1: For no reason, you walk into really the, the room. really don't
2: understand why, yeah. but you, you don't just like what, them.
1: Or rub, the opposite. Rub
2: you the wrong way or yes. whatever, you know, yeah. chemistry or whatever you want. Right. Same thing. Could be literally chemistry. Yeah. You know, we have pheromones. Dogs have pheromones. Uh, uh, something called MHC genes produce different smells and you may be the wrong smell. You don't belong to my family. Um, it's so interesting. Uh, abs- absolutely. So uh, ri- to- Rivalries get built up. Yeah. Past traumatic experiences. I mean, we have mm-hmm. cases where... Two dogs were together and something bad happened. Another dog attacked the two of them or a loud noise happened with two of them and they blame each other. Mm. You were there when that bad thing happened. Now, I want to get as far away from you as possible. So get away from me.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah. uh, That's such an interesting, just in my own life, because I've certainly had that where, you know, I don't know why, but I meet someone. I just love them. I don't know why. I just love you so much. And then the opposite where I'm like, I have no, you've not done anything and I don't think you're probably a bad person, but... I, and there I are just,
2: psychologists studying the
1: heck out yeah. of Yeah, <laughs> it's so interesting. Okay, so um, now if, you, if you've if you just tuned in, you've missed a very interesting conversation uh, with Dr. Jim Ha, who's one of the presenters at the Sparks Conference this year, which is this Friday, June 19th, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday all day. You can go to sparksinitiative.org. To find out more about the presenters, the schedule, and how to get in on this, you can stream it live and listen or watch for free from wherever you are. And also, uh, Dr. Jim Haw, you can find him online at www.adaptiveanimals.com. And also want to talk about your certificate program through the University of Washington, which I just learned about in our conversation last week. Which is very exciting uh in applied animal behavior uh through UW. dub um so tell us about this
2: well as a, as an academic you know obviously teaching and education is really, really important, and I love speaking, I love traveling and speaking to groups. I do a lot of speaking in this area and, and around the world to try and really educate people involved with dogs, you know the broad set of vets vet techs dog handlers trainers owners <laughs> yeah. um about the science of animal behavior and that there is this very well developed science of animal behavior though not as well developed for dogs but um there there really are a lot of principles out there and we under, we do understand a lot and um and so I've wanted for a long time to put together an academic program that's really focused on what we basically call in our field call applied animal behavior and applied animal behavior is simply using what we know of the modern science of animal behavior, most of it learned from animals in the wild, to deal with human animal issues in the broadest sense, Mm -hmm. uh, apply things that are applied around us. So companion animals, one big area, zoo animals, um, animals in research, um, uh, shelters, uh, livestock production, Mm -hmm. any of those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And of course, most of my work is, is with companion animals, and so uh, we had an opportunity recently, and the University of Washington came to us and and opened up an opportunity to start what they call a certificate program. Mm-hmm. Certificate program at the University of Washington has three at least three courses. We have three courses taught by University of Washington full time faculty members. Um, the course, the program is accredited, fully accredited. Um, it's available for academic credit, and successful completion of the three quarters. Um, results in being awarded a certificate in applied animal behavior. Um, And so uh, it it provides the academic background, the scientific background. We obviously don't have a practicum. We don't have an internship. We are not about to say that you're qualified to go out and deal with dogs or dog behavior issues. You need the practical experience, internships and many, many years in the business and, and that sort of thing. But what we wanted to do is get the good science out there Mm -hmm. and the the background that you need to keep up with behavioral science. Mm -hmm. And that's what we think we do very well. We've just run our first cohort group through this last year. Um, And that was done in a special structure where we were actually on campus and online. But the whole program is now open for enrollment, and it will be 100% online in the traditional sense where you go online anytime during the week. and. From anywhere, the, from anywhere in the world, yeah. and view the and so on. Mm. So, um, so enrollment is open. Um, we're getting a lot of enrollment. We're very pleased. It's been the first year was very successful, um, and uh, we got good good reviews, wonderful reviews. And the the, the program is now open for the second cohort uh, of enrollment, and in its new format. Um, so we're very excited about getting that information out there, getting yeah. the getting the education out there, and and it's the first time that there's really been. Applied animal behavior, companion animal, good science available from, a, a, a you know, an academically accredited institution.
1: Yeah. And also, too, I mean, just thinking about how this, as the science continues in the world of... Right. Companion animals, especially. Yeah,
2: we're really trying to develop the background so the people who have come through the program now have the skills and the resources to stay, keep up with it. We can keep the course constantly being upgraded. Yeah. um, And then really build a cohort of people who have gone through the program and can continue to interact and provide, act as resources to each other and and so on. So
1: So the next one starts in October. So it's a fall, winter, spring. Three quarters. Right. Um and how do people find this if they're interested in learning more about it?
2: So what you go do is go to the um, professional and continuing education PCE. Um, I think it's PC. We looked it up PCE Yep, and edu. I'll post a
1: link to this on our homepage as well. But so.
2: I've been able to Google real fast if you just Google UW applied animal behavior. Okay, it comes right up as the first link.
1: Okay, so you can go to the um. Professional and continuing education aspect of the University of Washington's website, which is www.pce.uw.edu. And then you can...
2: You just click on certificate. They have a number of programs. It's right there. It says Certificates. We're right at the top of the list.
1: Applied animal behavior yep. with the double A yep. that'll get you at the top <laughs> yeah, of the list. It gets
2: us at the top of the list. Okay. Yeah.
1: Or you can just Google UW Applied Animal Behavior and that and it'll come right up yeah. easily for that too. Yeah,
2: and and it's available either in the form where you just you know take the coursework material and receive the certificate yep. from the University of Washington, or um, you can actually uh, get it take it in a credit form and actually have a transcript, those credits can be transferred to another academic program and and so on.
1: Great. Well, that's such an exciting addition to uh, the the world. I mean, it's exciting that it's local, even though it's an online, an entirely online course, uh, but really cool to have that at the UW. Um, But if you're, you know, listening from anywhere around the world, you can participate in this program. Um, So... Thank you so much for your time today. Very, very interesting conversation, and I wish we had more time. I say that all the time. Uh, so Dr. Jim Ha was with us today, and uh, he is one of the presenters at this weekend's Sparks Conference, this weekend, July uh, June. It's not July. Not it's yet. It's June. Friday, June 19th, Saturday and Sunday as well, all day, all three days. There's a whole lineup of presenters. You can find the full schedule. And lots more information on the SPARKS website, which is sparksinitiative.org. Very much looking forward to this. If you're interested in canine science and especially around behavior, this is something that is right up your alley. Super, super interesting and um, just a great resource. So um, have a really fun weekend this weekend. And thanks again for your time on the show.
2: 114 degrees in Phoenix, but dry,
1: right? (laughs) There you go. It's dry. It's not a big deal. Well, you'll be inside anyway. That's right. So. That's right. All right. Well, thanks for listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. We'll be back next week, live Wednesday from 2 to 3 p.m.
0: You've been listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, Wednesday afternoons at 2 on Alternative Talk, 1150 a.m. Never miss another episode. Listen to our podcast online at dogradioshow.com or download them for free on iTunes or SoundCloud.